Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Lichten Lifestyle. I'm Steve Peck, along with Dr. Edward Lichten, the author of the textbook of Bioidentical Hormones. You know, I can't really express the gratitude for you coming in and, and doing what you do, sharing your information with everyone. Thousands of listeners have been able to learn more about their health, about hormone replacement therapy, and it's all been made possible because you have been so kind to come in here and share with us. And so on behalf of all the listeners, thanks for doing that for the past 15 episodes. It's my privilege, Steve. And, you know, we're talking about gratitude. You know, you put up your time, your money, your expertise. You, it was your idea to do this. Uh, there wasn't any financial uh, feedback at all. It was just purely let's teach other people what we know. And that's what it's all about, you know, the whole concept we share is that, you know, knowledge is something to be shared. Uh, this is the way we improve humanity. And anything we can do that makes people more aware of what they can do to take care of themselves means their life is enriched. And that's what we're both here for. And I think that's just a coolest place to be. Yeah, absolutely. And that's uh, kind of how we started. Uh, as I mentioned in an earlier episode, I got to know you when I came to see you as a patient. And I was passionate about what you do. And when I learned all of what goes on within the medical community and the information that doesn't get passed on to patients, it kind of angered me. And you had all this knowledge and your willingness to share that. And then I had the ability to come in here with audio gear and say, look, let's get it down. You were willing to talk about it and to help people. And I just had the ability to bring in the gear and make it happen. So together, I think we've done good stuff. And I hope and I believe that the listeners have benefited. And so we put together these past 15 episodes. And uh, this is our anniversary of that. And we're going to put an end to this album of hormone replacement therapy. But that does not mean we'll be going away. In fact, we'll be coming back with another album, and you'll be able to find it right here on iTunes as well. And tell us uh, about some of the information you'll be sharing with us in future episodes, stuff that our listeners can look forward to. Well, there's some general information that we'll start with. We'll talk about fibromyalgia. It's a new disease, but it's been around for thousands of years, uh, how that affects people's lives and what you can do to recognize causation and effect, and not necessarily drug therapy. We're going to talk about thyroid, which is a big player. Everyone knows about thyroid. There's hundreds of blog sites on thyroid. Uh, I've seen some of them. The misinformation is just so tremendous that it gets to where you can't tell what is right and what's wrong. So we'll put a medical spin on the alternative parts of thyroid management, what you can look at, why it's out there, why it's real, and what you can do about it. Uh, from an alternative standpoint, from a knowledge standpoint, and from a medical standpoint. We're going to talk about fatigue, chronic fatigue, um, how that affects you and how it impacts on everything else, uh, some no, new twists on diabetes, and then we're going to go into the uh, some of the real sick people. We're going to talk about people who have heart failure, people who have rheumatoid arthritis, Crohn's disease, uh, osteoporosis, dementia, people who are just at the edge of where they may lose what they have as as uh, human entities and how many of them have been brought back. And these are going to be human interest stories with an idea that there are answers and there is hope out there for even some of the worst medical conditions. Because I get letters from people all over the country, and some can get to me and some can't, but wouldn't it be nice if we could get the information to them 
And you as listeners, if you spread the word that there are new ways and new things that have been around for 40 and 50 years many times that doctors don't typically know about, that there are medical evidence that these things work, and the doctors being cloistered, uh, we're just trying to open up the door. And information is how we are able to change. And that's what seems to happen. The patients have some issues and their traditional doctor doesn't have any other paths than medical. And there are other paths. There is hope. Right. And there are what we call protocols. Protocols means things that work, things that are established. It just may not be mainstream because... Uh, gee whiz, uh, the doctor is learning as he gets out of medical school from the pharmaceutical reps that come in the office. And if he's treating asthma all the time with these high-potent steroids, he might not know that you can treat him with magnesium and vitamin C. And it may not work for everybody, but wouldn't you prefer to be on magnesium and vitamin C instead of heavy-duty steroids? So the point is we want to open up the knowledge base. And everything we give you here is reference. Uh, there are references in the textbook that uh, – that I wrote, uh, uh, there are references that are in the medical literature. And that is just the tip of the iceberg for what we really know because there's a lot of things that will develop every day. And even out there tomorrow, a patient's going to walk in my office and teach me something I didn't know. And I'm going to try to spread the word and let you know that too. In one show that I did a couple of weeks ago when you were on vacation, I talked a little bit about myself, and I talked a little bit about you as well, but maybe this is a good time to bring that up again. What makes Dr. Lichten different from other physicians? I know that, but maybe our patients don't know that because they think of a doctor is a doctor is a doctor, but that's not true because a lot of patients that come to see you have seen those other doctors. And nothing's worked for them. But when they come to see you, they receive a different approach. Maybe explain to us a little bit about your methodology of dealing with patients that have been to other doctors, been down the medical path, but not received the results they were looking for. You take a look at those patients a little bit differently, don't you? Well, let's just start off by, you know, let me share what influenced me. And that is, I remember being about seven years old. And this uh, overweight uh, smoking cardiologist was seeing my grandfather. And the thing that impressed me was not necessarily he had all the tools, although he had some tools and little instruments to use, and he could write prescriptions, was the fact that he cared. And he gave me the impression that it was a privilege to be a physician. Uh, he sat there. He, he, he spoke to me. I was maybe seven at the time, he shook my hand. He asked me personally, what did I want to do? And out of the blue, I said, I want to be a doctor. Uh, but the whole point is being able to figure that what you do is a privilege. I know when you take care of the, the kids in the Miracle League, and it's, it's so altruistic, but you think it's a privilege to be a person who could be there. And that's what we should look at from, you know, do unto others as others do unto you. Purely and simple, it's a privilege. You come to me as a patient, you say, I have a problem, can you help? And it is my privilege that you have spoken to me and have given me insight into your problem and have, and have put your health in my hands. That's why I look at it. It's a privilege. But many patients have been to other doctors. Things haven't worked. You have a different approach. You have a different way of looking at that patient. Tell me about that. Okay. Once you have that point of view that 
you're here to help the patient. There are two different levels of knowledge. One is a level that you learned in medical school, which is a basic physiology of what the disease is, and then there's ways of implementing treatments. The trouble we forget, even though we all have the same knowledge base of physiology, is that it becomes very simple to do what we call knee-jerk responses. You have asthma, take uh, Advair. You have uh, high cholesterol, take Lipitor, without going back to the physiology. And what I found early in my training is that there's too many holes in the logic Uh, This doesn't work all the time. That means there's something missing. So I've always had a problem. Uh, Maybe I'm an iconoclast. You know, the guy breaks uh, down all the Mm -hmm. rules and regulations and saying, well, that's not a good enough answer. Just because it's dogma doesn't mean it's right. So I've always looked at trying to figure out why. Because if I know why the problem is, then everything becomes simple. So that's one of my inherent characteristics is I don't accept it because you told me so. So what is the ultimate is the patient comes back and says, I'm better. Mm-hmm. I made you better. And the point is it's obviously an ego trip. The patient comes back and says, no one else can make me better, but your new different treatment, your research, your reading, your experience is different, and, my, and I'm doing better. Now, once I get to the point in time where I have done something that is unique – at least within the medical area that I'm treating, I don't need that information to be hidden. We can send it everywhere. You know, the story I was going to tell is, as an obstetrician, we talk about the Chamberlains in England. They invented uh, the forceps for delivery. And to make money, they kept it as a secret in the family for over 150 years. And then they sold it off, just one forceps, so you couldn't use it. So it took almost 300 years of knowledge that was there, hidden, while people were dying because someone wanted to make money. I have, I find that abhorrent. But yet, it still exists. Well, that it exists way today. everywhere. I mean, that's not the point. But the point is, we as individuals, if we have an answer, share it. Uh, it enriches you because it enriches humanity. Yeah, I mean, I have a different way of looking at things. I feel privileged that I can see ins- insightfully maybe into different relationships. Uh, I look at physiology, what cause and effect is, and I'm not afraid to try. And maybe that's the part. Uh, people get, uh, doctors get uh, perturbed with me for saying, well, why are you crossing your specialty? You're a gynecologist. Why are you treating headaches? Why are you treating menstrual pain because it's psychiatric, not real? Why are you treating diabetes in men? Why are you giving men testosterone? Why, why, why? And my answer is, it works. That's what drives me. It right. works. Aren't, aren't doctors supposed to be healers? But you see, there's a whole environmental conditioning here. First of all, in medical school, when you step outside the box and everybody makes some mistake, they clamp you down. They scare you. You could have killed the patient because you wrote for this medication or you weren't here to do this. So you come out. Just like coming out of anus, you just have a little tight view of life. It's tunnel vision to the nth degree. Because if you step outside the box, outside the format, someone's going to step on you. Well, I never, I believe that for, I came out, didn't realize I was doing that. And when I was working with computers, computers taught me again that what works, works. But here I am now 40 years later, and trust me. There are people out there that want me inside the box, okay? And there are some very nasty forces out there that says, don't don't rock the boat. Right. If you go to a doctor anywhere in the United States with asthma, you're going to get Advair, mm-hmm. okay? And therefore, everyone feels it's the same. But if there's four or five different schools of thought, no one's going to have any clear picture. And they may actually question whether the doctor had it right in the first place. 
So if you look at the first book, and the second book will be hopefully more point number, point, pointed at this, is that we're going to be in a position of saying, the truth is not the truth. The truth is what works. And a famous guy by the name of Albert Einstein said, it only takes one example to disprove me. Right. One and example. there are more than one examples with everything in medicine. We pointed out in cardiology that only 11% of the cardiovascular procedures being done today can be proven to be scientifically re- reproducible. Only 11%. When you go to the cardiologist, he says, take Lipidor. we got to do open-heart surgery. we got to do a heart catheterization. Mm-hmm. None of those are scientifically proven to be effective. Right. So why are they done? Because everybody does them. It's called money. Well, it's dogma. There's a whole pattern. You have to do something, and everyone has to make money, but it doesn't have to be that way. So it's a consistency of treatment and dogmatic establishment that we are really addressing here by saying, hey, if I got something that works for you and you can do it for 12 bucks a month Mm -hmm. uh, or $4 a week, um, do it. Try it. If it works for you, it works. I mean, nothing we're prescribing is an over-the-counter or prescription medication. What's your risk-benefit? If you try something, it doesn't work for you, stop it. If it works for you, you're a better person. And for our listeners, one of the things I learned when doing this show, and you can tell the whole story on this because I don't know all of it, but I know parts of it, and it amazed me, and it should amaze all of our listeners. It should offend us is that if a patient comes to, let's say, an anti-aging wellness physician such as you, and you have a fix for a problem, say vitamin D is something that will help them feel better, but yet there was a medical protocol from a prescription point of view that a doctor who's making people better, uh, say holistically with uh, nutritional supplements, that they will get a letter back from someone, you're going to have to tell me who, that will say, hey, you're not writing enough prescriptions. You're not writing enough uh, d- of the depression prescriptions or whatever. And, and your answer would be, well, look, they're getting better with the supplementation. But yet somebody's trying to force medical doctors into using medications. Is that true? Or uh, clarify that story for me, because I know, I may have heard it from you, that you guys will get a letter from an insurance company or somebody saying, you're not writing enough prescriptions. And as consumers, I want to say, why should we have to be forced to take a prescription that may have side effects? Why not try something uh, first that must be better? There's something called utilization review. Utilization review says, how do you fit with everybody else? Okay? So obviously, if I'm a gynecologist treating migraine, there's only one of me. So therefore, when I write prescriptions for the migraine medication, I'm categorized as a gynecologist, and I'm writing prescriptions that don't fit for a gynecologist. If I were a neurologist, writing for the prescription would be okay. So first of all, we've taken the body, and we've cut it up into... 57 varieties you know we have a neurologist we have a sleep specialist we have an endocrinologist we have eyes we have ears we have throat no one really says i want to take care of the whole person 
Number two, then when you look at gynecologists, we see a lot of patients who have depression because we're changing their hormones. We've got them on birth control pills. We're not giving enough estrogen for the menopause. They're pregnant. They have postpartum depression. There's a lot of doctors who write massive amount of prescriptions for antidepressants. And one of my colleagues here uh, with a similar size practice was writing for 157 new prescriptions a month for Prozac. And so the Prozac rep comes in here and says, Here's the data. Why is it the doctor so-and-so is writing for 157 prescriptions for Prozac and you're writing for three? I said, I didn't realize I was writing for three. Give me the names. Let me go back and work on them so I can get them (laughs) off the drugs. But the utilization review is not only information available to the pharmaceutical companies, it's available to the insurance carriers. And in the state we're in, we have an insurance carrier which has 95% of the market. So they can say, you're outside the of your specialty. So 20 years ago, I get a letter from uh, one of the Blue Cross PPO, which says, we're not going to renew your contract anymore because you're writing for headaches. And what, what, what's the problem here? I said, well, you're a gynecologist. You're not supposed to be writing for headaches. Therefore, you're outside our parameters of norm. Therefore, you're excluded. I said, but the patients are getting better. He says, that doesn't make any difference. You see, so there's all these issues that are created to make sure that if you go to a doctor anywhere in the country and you have migraines, you get treated this way. You have asthma, you get treated this way. We don't, they don't want, they being the, the PIGs, the pharmaceutical insurance government, to think that there's more than one school because people get uncomfortable. If you go to the doctor and it says, this doctor told me I'm supposed to be on natural thyroid. And this one says, but my doctor says natural thyroid's not good. It's bad for you then there's a conflict that develops at the patient level that comes back to the doctors. Why can't you guys figure out what is consistent? So it's more easy in a herd mentality for everyone to do the same thing, even if it's not ideal, because it doesn't create conflicts. And that's what happened we're doing here. We're conflicting with the establishment by telling them, people, that there is another truth. Well, maybe it's a real truth, because an exception to their truth is a real can be a very much a real truth. And we, my patients, feel very comfortable knowing that there's more than one opinion, and they're able to take the information and process it and say, well, here's the benefit of treatment one, here's the benefit of treatment number two. And I take Dr. Lichten's testosterone, my diabetes is in better control, and I don't need Viagra, and my wife and I are both on it, and we have great sex, and we never felt so well, and my son's on digestive enzymes, and I took him off the Prilosec. It's all a question what works for you. And what we want you to have is the information so you can try. As it should be. But that's why it angers me as a patient and should anger all of us when, whether it be the insurance carrier or or whoever that's trying to tell us that we need the prescription. Because why? Why do they say that? There's money attached to that for somebody, right? There's always money attached. But the way it works is the the big money player here are the pharmaceutical companies. And they're in real trouble because they're running out of drugs that are not too toxic for us. And all the old drugs that were effective are generic. So the amount of income for all these big pharmaceutical companies is dropping. That's why you're seeing all these mergers. So start off by drug company wants to sell drugs. And this is uh, Rockefeller and Mellon in 1925 mm-hmm. saying, let's go ahead and let's take the whole population here and make them hooked on our pills and we'll make money every month. So that's the concept number one is the drugs. Number two is a 40% kickback to the insurance carriers. 
So Blue Cross Blue Shield gets 40%, Aetna gets 40%, Humana gets 40% when you when the doctor writes a prescription for this special drug. Well, hold on right there. I mean, you got you just can't roll over that. I mean, people, did you hear that? Say it again. Who gets money? When you go to fill your prescription, and let's say the prescription's $100, okay, and the drug company has gone ahead and made arrangements with the insurance carrier to be on their formulary, that the formulary for Blue Cross or Aetna or Humana says, we will put your drug on formulary, but we need a kickback. Oh. So. It's called, excuse me, the term is volume discount. So example is, there are examples where medicines have been approved because one has a better discount than the other. So there may be two drugs very similar, Maxalt and Relpax, and one may be $4 cheaper, but one gets on the formulary because it gives a better kickback to the people who are making a decision what's on formulary. Oh, man. The insurance companies, the ones that are paying our claims, are actually getting a payback. Is that correct? Right. I mean, this they, is payola in your field when they used to in radio. That's yeah, payola. They, that's right. They used to pay you to to play the music. Well, now they're paying you to take the drugs, putting them on the list. So then you combine that with what we just spoke about earlier. They're making the money, and then they write the doctors to tell them they're not writing enough prescriptions. Aha! Uh-huh. Light goes on. <laughs> you know. I mean, this is this is outrageous. This is crazy. Well, because we put a third party in there, we call them opportunists or lawyers or businesses, we put them in between the doctor and the patient because the model that I still look at is the model I saw when I was you know, seven years old. You went, mm-hmm. you saw the doctor, you paid him five bucks for an office visit, he gave you a few sample pills, and there was no f- big pharmacies there at that time. You had a few little drugs that were available in the 1950s, and here, here was your relationship, patient-doctor. Personal, protective. Now we put a third and fourth party in there. We're going to have pharmaceutical companies. We have pharma- uh, pharmacies to fill them. We have insurance companies to sell the insurance and to, quote, protect the environment and government to supervise everything. So what happened was we have all these other people in between. People don't pay for their prescriptions. People don't take an active interest in their health care. Everyone's supposed to take care of themselves. And this is socialism, and there's a lot of discussion going on now. I don't think we have the hours and hours necessary. But let me tell you what medical care is like in Europe, where there is socialized health care. Socialized health care, there's one guy at the top of the, of the ladder, of the pyramid, and he tells everybody what to do. And this dates back hundreds of years. I think I told the story uh, before that uh, one doctor, similarly, said, wash your hands before you examine a woman in labor. And he was the second most powerful man in Germany at the time. And number one guy said, stop bugging me. Simmelweis didn't stop. So the police came and arrested Simmelweis and put him in an insane asylum for 10 years until he committed suicide. That's one way of generating uniform health care. Hmm. And in Germany and in Europe, there's two standards. One is what you could get, mm-hmm. and two is what you can buy. And in Germany, if you have the standard health care like we do, it's all defined, uh, but you got a three-month wait or a six-week wait. If you want health care today, 
you pay, the doctor stays late, and you have a one-on-one. You pay $100, you get to see the doctor. Then outside of this main health care system, which is similar to what we'll call our Western medicine, there are other programs for alternative care, uh, homeopathic, massage therapy, uh, Feldenkrais, whatever it is, but these are alternative. But you are either in a hospital setting, which feeds directly up to the one guy at the top, or you're outside the system. So, therefore, all healthcare is defined, and you will see very little creativity coming out of these healthcare systems where the only guy making the decisions at the top. And if I were you, and I'm one of you out there, I'm scared, you know what, because of the guy at the top of our uh, food chain here is telling everybody, I'm going to tell you how we're going to have healthcare. And trust me, he's not a doctor, and if you look at what just two presidents ago, uh, we had the option of Hillary Care. Hillary Care couldn't keep Bill from having open heart surgery, so I'd be scared again pretty badly that these are the people who can make decisions on my health care. So freedom of choice, freedom of thought, freedom of speech, we're using it today to make your health care better. One final thought on the pharmaceutical end of things, and uh, along the line with what you just spoke of, there are people out there that have a hard time paying for prescriptions, and it really ticks me off when people who don't have the wherewithal for whatever reason to buy a prescription aren't able to get what they need through a prescription because they can't afford it. And you look at some of these prescriptions that people need to take today, and, I mean, pills can be $10. I don't know how high the price for a pill goes, but I know pills are going for $10, $15 a day day for one pill how can a pill cost that much do pharmaceutical companies put that much money into research that they have to price that pill that high or do they price it that high because they can price it that high Uh, i'm seeing two patients right now with crohn's and crohn's is a form of ulcerative colitis it's a bowel disease and horrible disease and it can lead to surgical resection they're both taking medication a shot every two weeks. It's $2,500. And I'm treating them both by taking them off the medication with medicine that costs me $6 a week. Really? And you're getting results from that? Yeah. I can't cure everybody, but anybody we cure, we're saving $30,000, dollars $60,000 a year. So number one is... If there is a alternative, why don't we promote it? It's because there is money involved. That's number one. Number two, interesting thing is most of the drugs that were expensive have come down in price. An example, just a few years ago, Prilosec for an ulcer was $240 a month. Well, now it's $27 a month. And if I wanted to get the same generic prescription out of Canada uh, that was $240 a month, it's now $60 a month. So the point is, if we had an open free system that would be capitalistic, we could buy our prescription medication in Canada. And actually, one of the programs we're putting together here, since we're right across the river from Canada, is we're going to have a thousand of my patients are actually going to have bus trips to Canada and we're going to go over there and, and I'm being <laughs> very a road trip. Uh, it's going to be a simple road trip yeah. for these expensive medications and we're going to be able to save 75% of the healthcare costs. That's awesome. Just it, it shouldn't be that way. We have an open GAT treatment where we have to, you know, they'll ship our cars across without taxation. Right. Why are prescriptions this way? It's because it is huge money. I mean, up to 25% of our gross national product is being diverted into 
healthcare, and it's not ideal healthcare. Remember, people are sicker now than they have ever been. So, yeah, pills have dropped in price because the generics are there, but the big thing is they probably didn't have to be that expensive. But remember, if you come out with a new drug product, it costs you $300 million. It does. For nothing. If you want to come out with a B12 nose spray, $300 million by the time you go through all the government regulations and make sure you have the right person in the government who supports your drug as being safe and effective. I don't know if I told the story about uh, a drug called ribovirin, which is used for uh, hepatitis C. And the, so he pissed off somebody at the FDA, and the FDA blocked the drug for 10 years, allowing hundreds of uh, thousands of Americans to be infected and a number die because he didn't grease the right palm or he made claims that were just a little too strong for somebody who was sitting on a little throne and people died. I mean, we keep forgetting that these decisions that we make, I get to treat one person at a time, but if I were at the top, we'd be affecting hundreds of thousands of people. Mm. And just the cure we have described for diabetes means that if it gets out there and you guys keep talking about it, listeners, 200 million people' lives could be better tomorrow just by knowing that testosterone is a link to diabetes. So we have a real problem of information. We have a problem of greed. It's the same problem we've had forever, but now we have radio and computers and Internet, and we as Americans have not been ones to sit around and say, go ahead and screw with us. But the the diabetes, the type 2 diabetes being helped, with testosterone is not actually a cure, but it definitely helps the symptoms. Is is that how you would describe it? I don't want to mislead anyone. That's why I say that. There's three levels. Remember, we had Joe in here, and Joe was clearly a diabetic. Yep. He had abnormal sure. blood tests. He took the testosterone. He changed his life. He lost his weight. He exercised. Today, he is clinically not diabetic. So that's a cure. Uh, he is no. He has a tendency to diabetes, but he's cured. He doesn't have any signs of it. Then we have people who do better, and their blood sugars are well controlled, but they're still chemically will show evidence of diabetes. And then we have those that, no matter what we do, uh, need to stay on the testosterone, and then those who need to be on the insulin and those who need to be on pumps. But the point is just to be able to say that this chronic disease that is increasing exponentially can be stopped, arrested, or prevented, I uh, should be having people listening to every every word we say. Right. And it's not like I own the drug. I don't. And it's not like it's expensive. It's not. And it's not like it's not available. It is. No, that should be front page news. <laughs> At least, you know, instead of enemy of the state, it should be <laughs> something better. But, yeah, the point is we're here talking about things that you can take home, things you can share with your friends and your neighbors and the guy down the street and the and the woman who is uh, miserable, things we can share to say the information is out there, it's available to you, uh, take a listen, uh, it's not going to cost you, and it could make your life better. So back to you and, and the difference between your methodology and other doctors, you look at the whole patient and... Uh, where other doctors may just be laser-focused on specific medical issues. Uh, what I've liked about you is the way that you don't uh, discard medical treatment. You include it, but that's not necessarily your first step, correct? Right. I mean, ideally, you don't want to get the disease in the first place. So if we could right. prevent it, 
wouldn't that be the best? But we can't prevent the environmental toxins and the uh, sleep disturbances and all the things we have as part of our society. So we want to minimize them. The thing we're talking about is first level of intervention. What we can do to keep the disease from developing. What we can do to minimize the disease. And if we can intervene early with minor treatments like taking vitamin D to sleep better, you know, to take uh, B12 and digestive enzymes uh, to help your stomach digest food better, then you don't get the insomnia, you don't get the ulcer. We're talking about ways of prevention. And then even if the person is ill with a demonstrable disease, we're saying we can intervene and minimize the amount of heavy-duty poisonous drugs you're on. So we have three levels. Prevention through education, intervention early to minimize the disease, and then if you have major disease, to minimize how many toxic pharmaceutical products you need to take. And as you said, and I agree, the prevention on the front end is most important. And I think that's where most of us lack. I ran into a gentleman the other day. I had lunch with him. And uh, he's in his 40s, and I inquired about his health, and when was the last time he had a checkup, and it, it had been a long time. A lot of men, I think women too, but men for sure, are a little bit frightened to go in and have testing done. You know the type of person I'm talking about because you probably see him, right? Guys just are, they don't want to know. But if you know... You can really make a difference in your health care. And it's one of the things I learned on the show we did on cardiology. The author of Reverse Heart Disease Now, Dr. James Roberts, was saying to us in that program that no one should have a heart attack as an unexpected event. If you go in and you have the proper testing, you should be pretty well aware that you have the potential and therefore the ability to do things to help prevent that. You agree with that too, right? Well, more than agreeing with you, this is what we're doing. We are putting a program together, which will be offered here in the Michigan area. We're actually going to uh, what are called self-payers, organizations that actually pay for their insurance. And we're going to start by every single patient gets prevention. To get into the insurance program, be insured, you have to go through a physical. You have to have the blood test. You have to have the EKG, the pulmonary function. And we're actually even going to include that EBT for people over 40, which is a test of calcium scoring. Super important. Which tells you what your real age is. So day one, you walk in and you now have seen the doctor and we have a program. You are overweight. This is what you need to do or you will you know, you're going to be paying a premium because you're going to cost us more. Uh, number two, you have heart disease. You're prone. You look like you're 70 when you're 40. Here's what we need to do. Here's your diet. Here's your vitamins. Here's your nutrition. Here's your hormone replacement. If we find there's evidence of obstruction here, we're going to send you to Roberts, and we're going to go ahead and start this uh, program of uh, uh, ECP, which is uh, extracorporeal reverse pulsation to keep your vessels open and you're going to quit smoking or you're going to get rated. So we're going to take people and say, okay, we're going to give you the chance to stay healthy because you're not going to, we're not going to expect to have anybody walk in the emergency room in the middle of the day with a heart attack. We're expecting to pick it up first. And by doing the simple things like the vitamin D and the vitamins and nutrition, we're going to eliminate a lot of disease down the road. We expect to have cost savings of at least 15% the first year 
and then second and subsequent years, 25% over everybody else. How could you not, right? I mean, you know, you have, you know what's going on in that patient. Prevention, early intervention, all based on solid logic, and then we're going to keep records. I like it. And within hopefully two to three years, if our healthcare system hasn't been destroyed by then, we'll be able to come on and say, here's 100,000 patients followed for the last three years. Not only do we save money, but no one or very few people had a heart attack. We picked up this. We picked up that. Early prevention, safety, you know. Wasn't uh, Benjamin Franklin said something about a, you know, penny for prevention, pound for a cure? Yes. Well, we're going to put some pennies in the right place. Good for you. I mean, I I like that whole concept. I really do. And I I think that most people really need to wake up and uh, take responsibility for their health care. And it's not that hard. Really, you come to a doctor like Dr. Lichten, and you really have to find a doctor like Dr. Lichten because uh, he knows how to read the blood in ways that some other doctors don't or or order uh, blood testing uh, that shows things that another doctor may not run. But if you come in, it's simple. You get your blood work done through that that comprehensive blood work panel. You can tell an awful lot about a patient, can't you? Well, yeah, we combine the blood work to pick up things that we don't see. And two, you know, after doing this for almost 40 years, I get a pretty good impression of a lot of the problems just by hearing the patient's story and looking at their face and looking at their eyes and seeing what their body language says. But the interesting thing we did this week is we now have it set up where you can contact the office, you can pay for the blood work, and you can get anywhere in the United States. And uh, so if you live in... uh, uh, Boise, Idaho, and you want to do the lab test, you Mm -hmm. can contact the office, pay for the lab test. We send you a form. You get the blood work done in Boise. comes back to me here in the office, and we have a computer program we just developed, which will actually do a beta test interpretation. So even if I didn't see you, you can create a medical record. We can have you put your information in. The computer can do analysis. That's amazing. So the whole idea is that we are establishing a uniform medicine but it's based on science, not dogma. Wow. That is so cool, guys, that we can go out to your website and we can find where to get the blood drawn. And then we can come back to your website, usdoctor.com, and find all of those results. Is that what you're suggesting? Yes. Oh, wow. I've heard it said that a doctor can take a look at the blood and everything shows in the blood. Everything. Well, so, Quest advertises that 70% of all medical decisions are based on blood tests. Think about that. 70%. So right off the bat, if the doctor goes in and talks to you and, and says, well, you're depressed, let's give you Prozac. Well, you've missed out on whether or not your sleep pattern's off, your vitamin D level's off, your fibromyalgia, you've got uh, thyroid issues, your adrenals are off, your testosterone's off, you're diabetic. There's so many things that need to be run to be eliminated before you just throw the prescription at them. Good point, good point. But it's nice to know that the blood testing is available. Check out Dr. Lickin's website at usdoctor.com. He's got a great site and all kinds of information. Good supplements and other things out there as well, as well as an amazing skin cream. Do you have that on your website yet or not yet? Yes, it's uh, under products. Uh, It's uh, a cream that's uh, been created uh, with both hormones and uh, some superior products. Uh, the face cream actually is uh, uh, 
increased moisture content by almost 20%, 18.1% in the first week. So it's probably one of the best moisturizers ever created. Yeah. And uh, I give my wife full credit because she's a biochemist who put it together. My one contribution was said, we'll put a little estrogen into the face cream to make the skin smoother and more radiant because women, when they're pregnant, have beautiful radiant skin. And this is the same thing that uh, Oil Valet did back in the 50s by putting estrogen in. But we're using a placental estrogen called E3 Estriol. It's completely non-toxic. My male's patients like the cream as well i like it a lot you have a sampler over the front desk i'm I'm always (laughs) using it it's great stuff it's called new face check it out on dr lichten's website usdoctor.com so 15 episodes and uh let's just run down the uh the list real quick and see if there's any other thing you'd like to add in our first show and you can find all of these shows on uh, itunes they're all out there so every show we're talking about now if we say something that is of interest to you know that it's available you can listen to it now and then our new album will be coming out uh, within a week but we talked about knowing your hormones and you went down the list that is included in your textbook of bioidentical hormones and you described all of the hormones to us and i just want to add that if you have not picked that book up, it's a great place to start. It's also available on usdoctor.com, the textbook of bioidentical hormones by Dr. Edward Lichten, this guy right in front of me, the expert. Uh, So you talked about all of that. We introduced people to it. But then in episode two, we talked about sex, and that was interesting. We explored how hormones really can affect individuals from their sex life. The thing that we wanted to bring across was that sex is not Viagra. Uh, Sex is driven by testosterone in both the male and the female. And when you have those things that interfere with testosterone, you interfere with sex performance. So the guy who's stressed and he's not sleeping or the girl who's on birth control pills or had a baby and uh, uh, is emotionally distraught over... uh, life and um, childbearing, all these things affect sex drive. So just taking a pill like Viagra isn't going to fix the underlying uh, medical condition. So we can measure testosterone levels and say, hey, if your sex performance is off, you're medically off. Fix the testosterone level, fix the sex drive, help to fix your body and maintain your youthful vigor and mental focus and heart function, and everything else, because the hormones of reproduction are the hormones of life. Right. Our function here is to reproduce. I'm curious, how, what's the percentage of patients that come to you for hormone replacement therapy that are really coming to you based on improving their sex life as opposed to improving their general overall health? I was going to be cute and say for men it's 100%. But <laughs> well, it's, I can believe it. It really isn't. Uh, a lot of men have given up sex. Yeah. And so we'll say 75% of the guys coming in say, I want better sex, I want better performance, I want uh, uh, more energy. All these things fit together. So 75% of the men come in talking about sex and maybe 15% of the women. Although once they're on the medication, both the men and women come back and say, yes, this is what we want. Right. And women have become more attuned to the fact that they are in charge of their libido, their charge of their orgasms, charge of their personality, and they feel good on this stuff. And they come back because feeling good is what we want. You go to the doctor for one purpose, hope mm-hmm. that you will be better. Yeah. 
And when the doctor gives you a prescription Lipitor, he says, how did that make me better? Other than your theoretic interpretation, the doctor has lost track of that personal uh, part. The patient has entrusted you because they don't feel right. If you can give them their health back, then you have given them everything that you're privileged to do. And just telling them that it must be in their head or this is the only treatment that's out there is really a, a, a sin in my point of view. Mm-hmm. Okay. In episode two, we discussed safety concerns for women, and we talked a little bit about safety concerns for men, too. But that episode came out at a time when Oprah Winfrey had a series of shows on hormone replacement therapy. Oprah also does hormone replacement therapy, as does Suzanne Summers, And the medical, I think it was the medical community, somebody's putting out scare tactic to try to get people frightened of doing hormone replacement therapy using uh, research based on the old uh, women's health initiative studies that we all know don't mean a whole lot right now but you addressed the safety issues right we talked about the fact that the women's health initiative used the old form of estrogen called premarin from pregnant mare urine and Provera, a synthetic progestin that was banned in 60 countries in 1960, as the sine qua non standard of hormone replacement. We don't use that in this office. And the point is when they used it, those patients on Provera the pro, or Pempro, the progestin part, had up to 25 times more breast cancer and more blood clots and all these other problems. But hormones aren't supposed to be given orally. They're supposed to be given from inside the body. Mm -hmm. So the whole design of this was a disaster. But the end result was, although Wyeth lost 75% of their business, the other good drug companies did well because now those women needed something to sleep, something for their depression, something for their bones, something for their weight gain, all these issues that came up by taking away their hormone of reproduction. And um, a very strong response to that. In our fourth episode, we talked about the truth about testosterone, and we had some gentlemen in here talking about what it meant to them, and uh, we also dispelled some of the rumors that have been going around for men. Uh, they, they have heard that taking testosterone treatment can create prostate cancer. And that's really not the case. And in, I think in that episode, we talked about the Testosterone for Life book that was written by Harvard uh, medical students, and they dispelled that, right? Yeah, the doctor Morgenthaler out of Harvard is a, uh, I don't know he's a family practitioner, a urologist, and actually we share a patient, and he's been qu- questioning my patient about what I'm doing over here. But the point being is he even has come out to say that testosterone is not contraindicated in people who have prostate cancer. I won't go that far because uh, I have seen prostate cancer enlarge on testosterone. But the point I made was I've probably picked up 60 or 70 cases of men with prostate cancer walking in the door. But in 15 years of doing this, I have only three men who have developed prostate cancer while on testosterone. So people walking in here with low testosterone and prostate cancer every other month. And the issue with the, the men that had developed it while they were coming in for therapy uh, could have been just developing cancer as they would have if they were not on therapy, right? Right. The way it worked was one gentleman had a prostate cancer and the urologist missed it. And by giving him testosterone, it grew. 
Another one came in the office, was diabetic, disappeared, came in the office, and he was in his 70s when he developed prostate cancer, and he hadn't seen me for more than a year. And the third one was a fellow who didn't know his parents or his lineage, and he was under regular care, and we picked up a prostate cancer so early that uh, Mayo Clinic said they wondered who the doctor was, and the guy just was a little skittish about saying it was his gynecologist. So the point is we can do really good health care by doing monitoring of PSA and by following the patient. So prostate cancer is not a risk factor. Uh, fear of prostate cancer should not stop any male from having uh, testosterone replacement if indicated as long as his PSA is normal and as urologist says, go for it. Mm-hmm. So guys, if this is your first show of the Lichten Lifestyle you're listening to, check out the fourth episode, The Truth About Testosterone, and learn how it can affect your life. Before I get on to the next episode, you just said again, as you've said a lot during the show, you know, and you always say it with kind of a smile on your face about a gynecologist treating men. I mean, you, you, you say that a lot, but to me, it doesn't really matter what you were. I mean, you're, you are a gynecologist, obstetrician, but it, it doesn't seem odd to me that because of that, you'd be treating men. I mean, I'm kind of old school, and I think some of what you said earlier is old school in that old school doctors used to be doctors that would treat you for most things. Oh, I trust me. I When I picked the field that I was going to function in, gynecology really is a field for women. We take care of all their problems. That's what I liked about it. You know, other than, you know, deliver the babies, of course, women have that unique unique disease state but the point is a woman comes in and she can't sleep she's got bronchitis Mm. she's got a vaginal infection she has pneumonia uh, she has a bladder infection the gynecologist treats a whole patient Mm. and with an intensity that is unmatched by any other specialty so that's what attracted me the fact that i had to find a way of treating myself in my 40s when i had no one to turn to when i felt like hell had beaten the beating me up and i felt tired and i felt exhausted and i couldn't perform and all the specialists had no idea then i sort of created my own specialty of treating me treating a male and the women patients picked up the difference they sent their husbands in and now 20 years later i have more male patients than female patients and think about how cutting edge that was we're talking 20 years ago when you were making the shift into hormone replacement therapy for men and women and just now today is it really picking up steam and and becoming mainstream so you were way ahead of the curve there and i think that as a gynecologist and obstetrician and treating women with hormone issues could only create a greater awareness of hormone issues across the board for men or women and uh, but i mean you mentioned a lot it it it's not funny to me it's uh you know, you're an anti-aging wellness doctor to me. Well, it's it's funny because the doctors who are super specialists are frustrated by those of us outside the box. I mean, imagine you're an endocrinologist for 40 years, and I'm not coming back to you because I'm seeing this gynecologist to treat my diabetes. Right. Okay, or uh, like next week or the week after, we're going to talk to a woman who has rheumatoid arthritis and a fellow with colitis. This is why I'm not seeing this hematologist, uh, rheumatologist who's poisoning me with the methotrexate. Uh, I'm seeing a gynecologist who's going to treat me with natural hormones. You understand the frustration is, if he's right, what am I going to do tomorrow? And it's not that, teach me what you're doing 
because it could help the patients is I have no other frame of reference. And that's what the issue is. Remember, we're outside the box. We're not going to get reimbursement. We don't know how we're going to pay our bills. Uh, I have all this information. I've been doing this for so long. It must be working because I'm still around. Why is he saying he has something better? Is he just another quack, you know, blowing in the breeze? Yeah, but, I mean, that's, you know, Dr. Roberts talked about that, the cardiologist. Uh, You know, that there was that turning point for him when he looked at one of his patients and said, you have to have surgery. And the patient said, can I try chelation therapy? And he said, no, you need surgery. Dr. Roberts was admitting a lot of people for surgery back early in the day. And he said to the patient, if you don't return and get surgery, you're not going to live very long. And then he went on to tell the story that he ran into that patient about two years later. And not only was he alive, he was looking pretty good. And Dr. Roberts said, so what are you doing? And the patient said, you remember I talked about that chelation therapy? That's what I did. And for Dr. Roberts, that was a moment where he said, wow, I was locked in that medical uh, mainstream thinking and not out of the box and not looking at anything else, and I missed it. That was his turning point, but it's it's just like what you talked about. It's about wanting to heal these people, and it's, it's not like some of the doctors that will look at what you're doing and go, oh, what's he doing? They should be the ones, like Dr. Roberts, like you, that crossed the line to wellness, doing what's in the best interest of patients. Unfortunately, as Dr. Roberts says, he's not rewarded for doing what's in the best interest because he doesn't make as much money. His patients don't come back. They don't need surgery, but he feels better. He's less stressed, and he knows he's helping his patients. And, man, that's where doctors should be. That's why a free enterprise system where the outcome has to be that which the patient demands works. And a socialized system where everybody does what everybody says to do is only mean you get paid because you follow the protocol. So if we want outcome, we have to have a free market system. People have to be able to have availability of those doctors who will make a difference. Now, some won't, Mm -hmm. but that's what the free market system says. If it works, you know, they will come. Right. On with the fifth episode, we talked about diabetes and how testosterone can help. And we talked to a couple of gentlemen that said how it just transformed their life. One uh, was close to tears as he spoke to us, uh, believing that he wouldn't get to see his daughter graduate from school. Now he's on the treadmill and he could run circles around you and me put together. And uh, you touched on it earlier in this uh, broadcast that type 2 diabetes can be greatly helped in many men. And that's a great program to listen to. Uh, then we've also been talking about the Dr. Robert Show, Reverse Heart Disease Now. That was our sixth episode, and we learned a lot about what we just spoke of, of doctors really wanting to heal patients. Right. It's always you know rewarding for me to see someone else who has the same philosophy that we are interested in the best outcome for our patients. It is a privilege for us to treat patients. They have entrusted their health and their lives in our hands, and there's no greater responsibility out there. And to hear someone say the same thing, and, you know, I taught uh, Jim a number of things about testosterone. He's taught me things about minerals and CoQ10 and a lot of other parameters. We share the information. It's not like uh, I'll keep it hidden so I'm the only one that has it so my patients get better. We're both interested in making 
everybody better. Right, and that's what I like. I like the way you good guys in the white hats work together. I like that. Uh, we also had a program, our seventh episode on vasectomy, prostate cancer, vitamins, and allergies. We covered a lot in that show. And then in the eighth episode, we got into the headache issue about migraines. And we had a, a patient in here that was sharing her thoughts. And that was a, a big life-changing event for her, too. Right. And the thing that I had discovered 20 years ago was that women have headaches, women have migraines, and it's typically related to hormonal drops that occur with birth control pills or around their menstrual cycle or menopause. And from the many years that I've spent going to headache meetings and talking to neurologists, because the neurologists are focused only as internists, uh, they are afraid of hormones. So even though we can get responses they don't, they don't want to admit they don't know. They are the specialists with all this knowledge. But dating back to the first prominent headache facility, uh, he wrote in his textbook that women get more headaches. So we have the physiology there. Then we have the fact that treatment doesn't meet the needs of the patients. And the doctors are afraid to refer the patients away. They're the experts. Why, if you're a neurologist, would you send someone to a gynecologist for headache management? There you go again. Okay. <laughs> or their seizures right. or, you know, uh, whatever. That was a great show on migraines. And uh, if you suffer from headaches, listen to the eighth episode. Then in episode nine, we finally, uh, you want to add something? Well, yeah, to I was going to say, on the website, U.S. Doctor, there's over 150 pages of information on migraine and headache. It is a international symposium that was put together in uh, by the head of the fellow in Sweden and uh, and Norway. And we add to that the work we've done here with hormones, all the references of publications that I've done. Uh, all these things are wrapped up in the textbook of bioidentical hormones, but you have so much information there that it's real. So instead of thinking that every headache has no way of preventing it. You have to take an Imitrex. You have to take uh, something in a way of blocking the pain once it happens. We talk about prevention. And that was probably one of the biggest tools we've had in intervening is the concept of preventing migraine by knowing the cause is hormonal. In the ninth episode, we dealt with menopause. It took us nine episodes to get back to your... <laughs> your, your My given special. Yeah, exactly. Nine. What the heck? Uh, but that was Wait, a good you one. You were running the show. You're picking the topics. I know. I'm just, just fitting in. And, you know. I, I remember that, though, because you, you called me the night before and you said, don't you think, don't you think it's time we do one on menopause? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess so. But it was a, it was a good show. And the, and the point we're making is, is that the, if you go to the average gynecologist or family practitioner, they'll tell you estrogen is bad. Well, I'm not saying estrogen is bad. Prempro has shown to be less than optimal, and it's still around. But there are natural forms of estrogen. There's patches. There's creams. There's natural forms of progesterone. But most of all, they don't tell you that there is testosterone even the gynecologists, um, most institutions don't train gynecologists in the use of testosterone. Women can do very well with a little bit of testosterone cream, uh, pellets, uh, injectables, what we use here in the office, special forms of testosterone that we have manufactured for us. The point is you can have a life. Uh, most of my patients in their 40s and 50s feel better than women in their 20s, and we have uh, – 
Mary at 79 still having a good time and yeah. out swimming, uh, you know, 10 of us. That was a fun show. Listen to that, ladies, especially if you're going through menopause. It's, it's a great show. The 10th episode, we talked about creating wellness and treating addictions. We got uh, involved in the addiction process and, and how uh, the Khalils dealt and deal with that on a daily basis. Then in uh, our next episode, we talked about, uh, this was kind of an interesting show for you and I to do, was How Men Live, Love, and Learn. It was kind of a guy's talk show, and we just kind of let it all hang out on that one. Right, but you know, being that I've been a gynecologist for all these years, I think I've picked up a little bit from the ladies, so we tried to take an attitude of saying, what really clicks? It's uh, Men, we tend to think we're going to be straightforward, we're just going to barge right in and and fight the battle head on. And women have a different way of looking at things. So the approach really was... <laughs> you think? Yeah, well, women are make things happen. We, we tend to go in and the walls come up. So the point I tried to take was look at it from a... Men, look at it from a little different standpoint. What you see is not what you get. How the kids react to you in a divorce um, may be different than you had seen. And we talked about this just to give... The guys who tend to be, you know, bulls in a in a uh, china shop, an approach to say, well, let's take a step back and let's see what really is happening. Do I really want to blow up over the situation? Let's look at it a different way. And uh, we've had some really fantastic responses uh, uh, to uh, to our discussion. Right. So, guys, if you want to hear all about that, you can find it right there on our website. Um, the next show was a very important one. The twelfth episode was hormone therapy for couples. And we had a couple in here that were amazing. I mean, it was a powerful program because this was a couple that has loved each other for many years. They've been married for a long time. And they were in here sharing that they had loved each other for a long time, but something happened 20-some years into the relationship where it just became work for them. They were just kind of coexisting, uh, at least in the bedroom for sure. And how when they came in and had their hormones balanced, and the gentleman's hormones, his testosterone was down around 100, which is really low. But once they got themselves better, their life was just turned around, and they were just fun to have, weren't they? Oh, they're, they're, they're one of my favorites. But we, we have a lot of couples like this, and the whole idea is that you're in a relationship and you spend more time with your spouse than anyone else and they're your mirror they're your foil they're how you react to your environment and if you're running on half speed hormones and she's running on half speed hormones and both of you are missing nutrition then you can't have an ideal relationship so we talked about nutrition as well as hormone replacement and and uh in this case uh uh, Joanne, from when she came in, she's no had a nice a new haircut. She's lost some weight. She got rid of her glasses. She really changed her appearance because she could feel that she can relate outwardly. Right. While before a woman, she was pulling back and withdrawing. The male, when he feels short in testosterone, becomes more combative. He's more depressed, more agitated. And here we had. Uh, uh, the husband, big burly guy, just as friendly as, as any bear cub. I really enjoyed them. It's a great show. If you've been in a relationship for a long time and you're in your 40s or 50s, this is the program you need to listen to. That's But, but we're not promising that you will have sex every day like they do. Yeah, I'm still... Uh, 
still scratching my head over that one, but uh, it's a good story. That's the 13th episode. The truth about relationships. All right, that was actually the couples one, the uh, hormone replacement therapy for couples. That was the episode. Now, the 13th was when I went on a rampage. You were on vacation, and we talked about the truth about relationships, friends, family, and medicine, and and I just went on about what the truth is. It sounded in concept to me before I came in the studio to do it like a pretty spacey idea. When you start saying to somebody, what is the truth? The truth is really not the truth. People look at you and go, wow, what have you been smoking? <laughs> but as I went on to do the program, it was like it made some sense. Your truth is not my truth. The truth today is not necessarily uh, you know, the truth tomorrow. Even scientifically, things change. No question. And the thing is, though, you determine truth through education and by processing information. So the first thing is you have to have all the available information. So that's what we're doing. We're saying, here's different ways of treating. Here's different ways of looking at problems. You take the information and you do with it what you want. That's number one. Number two, truth can have a purpose. And our purpose, it's basically altruistic we want you to live a better life you don't have to buy our products you don't have to see the doctor we want you to have a better life and that's our altruistic role behind the truth that we sell that we dispense that we speak into our little microphones here so you have to realize one what is the information and two is there an opportunity for you to learn or is there an opportunity for someone to make money off of you and trust me we're here to educate you. Yes, we are. So learn about the truth on the 13th episode. And then uh, it was the insomnia episode for number 14 where we help people get a better night's rest. And that was a helpful uh, program, I think, to a lot of people because, as we learned in the program, there are an awful lot of people that suffer insomnia. And what we did was, as a summary, we said you can prevent insomnia by maintaining your vitamin D level. And although there are prescription vitamin D, the cheaper ones that are liquid actually are better. And the one that's being sold, which is D2, not D3, actually doesn't work. And so the first point was, here's the information. If you have trouble with insomnia, you can measure the blood test. And if you're looking at prevention, you can measure the blood test and you can treat it. We also made a racial uh disclosure that the people with darker skin need more vitamin D. So hypertension, fibroids in blacks, uh, the incidence of uh, uh, different diseases, including MS, are now related to low levels of vitamin D. So why don't you prevent it by just getting the blood test levels and uh, taking replacement? You, know, you only have a few hundred units if you drink milk. You need a few thousand units. You can't hurt yourself for the most part by taking vitamin D. Studies on muscle, pain, aches, good bones, good teeth are all related to vitamin D. So there's a little simple gift to you, a piece of knowledge. We talked about how all the other hormone systems affect sleep. If you're low in growth hormone, you're low in thyroid, you're low in adrenal, too much adrenaline, you're diabetic, you have menopause, you have andropause, you have low testosterone levels, you have low progesterone levels. All these affect sleep. Sleep affects repair. So start with something simple, prevention and intervention. It's all been a gift from you, Dr. Edward Lichten, to take your time to come in here every week for the past 15 weeks and share your experience your knowledge, and all of your help for all of us who listen. 
And to all of you who listen, Dr. Lichten and I would like to thank you. We really appreciate it. As Dr. Lichten just mentioned, we started doing this as a way to help people. I'm passionate about what I've learned through Dr. Lichten. And together, we've been able to put this out there and and let people listen. So I hope you all appreciate it. And I know that we appreciate you being there. And so as we wrap up this episode, our 15th, and close this album, we will be back with another album. And that will be available on iTunes. And as Dr. Lichten mentioned earlier, all kinds of new subjects. We've got miles and miles of stuff to talk about, don't we? Well, let's just say we probably have a story for every week for the rest of our lives. And whatever we can do or whatever suggestions you have, we'll be more than glad to give you the information that we can glean from the medical literature and what we have seen or what I have seen in my uh, uh, personal practice and you know what Steve and I see in our daily lives. And if you have a question or a show idea, you can write us at usdoctorradio at gmail.com. Again, usdoctorradio at gmail.com. That's the email address to send a, a show suggestion. And Dr. Lichten's website is usdoctor.com if you want to find out more information. And then a lot of our people who have been listening have been writing in saying, hey, I love what Dr. Lichten's saying. How can I get a hold of him? And I'm out of state. Well, even if you're out of state, you can still get a hold of Dr. Lichten. He's available for consultations by phone. And the phone number to reach him in Birmingham, Michigan is 248-593-9999. I'll give you that number one more time. 248-593-9999. Dr. Edward Lichten, it's been a blast. Thanks again for doing this, and I look forward to seeing you again next week, right? We'll do it all over again with a new album. We'll keep going. Steve, thank you for giving us the opportunity to tell people listeners uh what we've learned in you know 40 years of trying to take care of people and making lives lives better but without you and all your effort and time and money i this wouldn't have happened so (laughs) it's my pleasure hey it's it's mutual thank you so much it is my pleasure and thanks again everyone for listening i'm steve peck for the lipton lifestyle saying stay healthy we'll talk to you soon